has been such a special weekend. If you were here Friday night, wave at me. Yes. Man, this was our 2022 Women's Conference. This was our eighth annual Women's Conference. Isn't that awesome? Eight years, guys. So, so cool. And this event has come to mean so much to me, but also from what you guys share all the time, it has come to mean so much to each one of you as well. And I'm so, so thankful. I'm so thankful for that. We learned a new word this weekend. What was it? Anybody know it? Kintsugi. Yes, this is a word that I heard a couple of months ago. I had never, ever heard this word, never encountered this word. And a friend of mine, he was sharing a story and he kind of just quickly mentioned this word in passing and something happened inside of me. I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. First of all, how have I never heard of this? And second of all, the definition of that sounds like the gospel message to me. And I was completely, completely wrecked by it. Several months ago, I just, it has not left me. And so, um, I want to share this word with you all. We talked about this Friday night, but kintsugi is this Japanese word that is now, it's like an art form, okay? And so I want to give you some context and then um, kind of share some really cool things with you guys. But kintsugi comes from uh, kind of the, the story, the legend is in the 15th century, there was this Japanese um, leader and his favorite ceramic bowl got broken, and he was really kind of tore up about it and wanted, uh, he didn't want to call it quits. He didn't want to give up on it. He sent the pieces actually over to China um, to some of their potters and artists and artisans to see if anybody could reconstruct his favorite bowl. And they sent it back to him, but he was not satisfied because the way, the method in which they had chosen to repair it was um, really kind of uh, left the, the bowl looking very gr grotesque. It was put together with like staples, and like large staples and, and like had put some like clay on the side of it to try and mask some of the mistakes, some of the broken parts. And it just, it, it you know, didn't, didn't quite hold up. And so we sent it um, to another artist uh, that, you know, was in the village and um, the, the potter, the artisan put the bolt back together again. But this time he used a lacquer that was dusted with gold and he highlighted the broken pieces. And so this has over the centuries become um, actually something that people seek out and it's called kintsugi. I have um, our coffee mug here. This one has not actually been broken um, and put back together, but you can um, find online. It was, it was so cool. You can find plates and bowls and teacups and all of these different um, pieces of pottery that it's their intentionality is to bring attention to the cracks, to bring attention to the broken pieces, to the jagged edges. And over time, um, different potters and um, artists and, and kind of clay workers have actually begun to break things intentionally so that they could then put them together. And, and we found out two things to be true. Number one, that the item actually became more valuable. Everybody say more valuable. It actually, the look and the aesthetic of that gold being in all of those cracks and crevices actually made the item more valuable. The second thing that we learned that we found out that actually somebody kind of helped me to see is that through this process of putting it back together, um, sealing it back up actually makes the item stronger. Everybody say stronger. stronger. 
And this was profound to me. So profound to me because if we look at ourselves, the the Bible scripture has all kinds of metaphorical references to God being the potter and us being the clay. And so if we see ourselves as pots, as as jars of clay, um, then instead of the thing that has made us feel broken or the parts of our story that we want to try and cover up or mask or hide, I think that there is an encouragement for each one of us that no, 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 what God is saying is if you will actually let me put that place in place of it, put gold. In other words, if we'll, if we'll call attention to it, if we'll highlight it, there is something profound that happens. Jesus says, no, I don't want people to cover up what I have done. I want them to say, look at what was and what God has mended. Amen. That in those places of discouragement or the parts of our story that we most want to cover up, Jesus says, no, you don't understand. That, that is the place that people need to hear about. That is the place that most brings me glory. And it's such a reminder and encouragement to me that God chooses to do it this way. And we said Friday night that we even see this modeled in Jesus Christ himself, that after his death on a cross, when he's resurrected and he returns to earth, in my mind, what would seem logical is that he would be perfected, but who knows what was, what was left those scars in his hand, those nail scarred hands remained. In my mind, it would make the most sense that he would be the most beautiful and the most perfected and there wouldn't be a single flaw and there wouldn't be a single um, scar or element left behind. But he said, no, because we have to have the evidence. We have to have the reminder that God is the only one. Everybody said the only one. God is the only one who can mend certain things. I believe that. Do you believe that today? And so how I wanted to end our women's conference this weekend, guys, we invited you to come be a part of it today. <laughs> we, we thought it'd be all right for you to be here. Um, we want, I wanted you to see this come to light. It's one thing to talk about something metaphorically or theoretically, but I want you to see real life stories of brokenness that through a willingness to share and talk about the hard cracks and, and crevices and the jack edges and the heavy places that God would be glorified. Amen. And so will you help me welcome some guests of ours? They're going to make their way up to the stage. They're going to make their way up and I'm going to give some introductions, but these incredible, incredible ladies um, have agreed to share parts of their own broken stories in an effort to glorify God, to, to bring a highlight to those hard places. This is not, um, you know, an effort to like parade tragic stories. This is an opportunity for people to be courageous and say, man, if I, if my story can bring hope to somebody else, man, man, I'm willing to do that. You know, scripture says that they overcame by the word of their what? testimony. And so that's what we're doing today. A testimony is, is sharing the story of redemption and where Jesus has shown up um, in, in their lives. And so I want you to meet some of these incredible women. We're going to start right here with Miss Amanda. I say, hey, Amanda. This is Miss Amanda. And Amanda, um, if you don't know this, she is on staff. Um, She keeps all of us straightened out. She dots all the I's and crosses all the T's. She is our office administrator, but she really honestly is so much more than that. 
Um, she is, I call Amanda a yes person. She's like, what do you need? Got it. Yep. Let's go. All right. Yes. Yes. She is generous with the yes. And I'm so, so thankful. Um, but I want you to hear a little bit of kind of the backstory. Um, and so Amanda, thank you for saying yes. Um, yeah. what, what would you kind of share? Where was maybe the season or the part of your story that felt the most broken? Um, so about three years ago, my marriage was non-existent. It had almost completely ended. I was ready to call it quits. My trust was broken. And I knew, in fact, that there was no repair and there was no way to come back from that. And I had kind of just given up. Yeah. So, so what did that look like? You, you were... My husband and I, um, we had planned to, we were separated for actually a year. Um, we kind of tried to hide it from everybody, but the moment I took my wedding ring off, people started to know, but the only reason I took it off is because my trust was betrayed, and I did not feel like I was married to the person that I originally was married to, and so that just led to a trail of, let's hide this, let's make this look like it's working, we're going to continue to live together, we're not splitting up our kids, and we're just going to be roommates. Wow, so a broken marriage hidden behind mm -hmm. a facade yeah. of togetherness. Yeah. Wow, okay. Um, so that's just a piece of, of Amanda's story, but I want to introduce you guys to Miss Kaylee. Everybody say, hey, Kaylee. Hey. So Kaylee, um, I love that we have a, a, a generation of our teenagers represented up here, that um, it's not just adults who, who have broken pieces. It's not just people, you know, who maybe are of a certain age or a certain stage of life. But for some of us, for some of our stories, it happened a long, long time ago when we were young. Um, and so Kaylee, tell us a little bit of context. Tell us a little backstory about when things were broken for you. So um, when I was like around three, um, my parents got a, a divorce and they sat me and Keegan down and told us that they were getting a divorce and like everything went downhill from there. Um, my dad had moved out of the house that we were living in, which was my mom's dad's house, my papa, and he moved into his dad's house, which was very toxic. The people there were manipulative. And uh, when I was with my mom, she would have some of her friends um, over that were going down the same path that she was, or we would go over there, and I found myself having to like lie to my dad just to keep peace between my parents because I hated hearing them argue. And, um, yeah. What, let, what, what was kind of the core like source of your parents needing to split up? Because um, my mom and dad were like arguing all the time and she was going down the wrong path. And he, he was being rough, rough, like he was being hard on her because um, he thought that that was the way to um, get her out of the circumstances that she was in. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, and then I want you guys to meet Miss Carolina. Everybody say, hey, Carolina. And uh, Miss Carolina, tell us a little bit of your... Um, maybe that, that place that felt just utterly like shattered, utter, utterly broken? Um, also in childhood, um, well, first of all, I, I am originally from El Salvador. So my story begins in being a child of war. Uh, the war lasted around 12 years, so it was between around that time between four and on that I was surrounded by the chaos of the war. In the middle of this, um, I was sexually abused in my own home. Um, 
this, this is something that happened not only once, but for, for a period of time, for four years. Um, in addition to that, um, my dad and was alcoholic, and my mom was involved in this domestic uh, violence. So it was violence in the home in addition to the alcoholism and in addition to what was going on in my life. Okay. So a, a war-torn nation. Yes. So literally living in chaos. chaos and brokenness around you. Yes. Brokenness within your parents' dynamic, their marriage, their relationship, their struggles. But then you, as a four-year-old child, in your own home, under your own roof. In my own world. In your basically. own world. Yes. Right. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. And we see this happen so often, you know, that, that brokenness tends to have like a repercussion in multiple arenas. Maybe you've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people, right? We see that um, when people hold on to their brokenness or refuse to um, allow places of restoration or healing, that it has long extending repercussions, um, which I think is, is a, a huge part of, of your story. Um, and then I want you guys to meet Miss I Drew. Uh, listen, if you don't know Miss I Drew, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to know Miss I Drew. You need to spend some time with her. And I love that her family, there are four generations of Viverts that are connected to Hope City Church. And um, I, I just, I love her intentionality to love her family, to serve her family. Um, and when I am in the like throes, y'all, just to let you a little bit inside of my head, when I'm in the throes of like motherhood with my four crazy children, I just look to Miss I Drew, I'm like, one day, just one day, if I can hold it down, they're going to want to hang out with me. They're going to, you know, I'm going to have grandbabies or great grandbabies one day, Lord Jesus. And, um, and, and Miss Idrew is my encouragement for that because I have heard you share parts of your story that don't always look like a Sunday brunch with everybody singing around a piano. Uh, you know, that, that the way that we kind of get to some of those beautiful parts of the story, there is struggle um, in there as well. And I so appreciate your willingness um, to be vulnerable and, and talk about those imperfections um, in a way that's, that's God-honoring. Um, but will you tell us maybe for you, what was a, a season or a portion of brokenness in your life? I would be glad to. But before I do that, I want to thank our pastor's wife for the wonderful weekend we women have had this weekend. Do you really appreciate her? God speaks to this woman about what we need as a church. She really, he really does. Um, I grew up in poverty. Uh, I had six older brothers and uh, mother was a teacher. Uh, daddy uh, had a, a menial job. He, he worked with lumber. Um, both of them became ill when I was about your age, Kaylee. And I was so afraid that, one, I would lose my parents while I was young to, to some kind of disease, or two, you know, I might get it. So my mother developed cancer and had all kinds of treatment when I was 12. My father had a stroke when I was about 13. Uh, 
mother had a, um, a uterine cancer. Daddy had three strokes, one, two, three. The third one paralyzed him in his left side for the rest of his life. And I became a caregiver instead of being taken care of. So uh, my uncle taught me how to do therapy. Um, I gave my dad therapy every day um, with the help of a <coughs> good television, excuse me, <coughs> the help of a good television and Oral Roberts on Sunday. Uh, he found out about the Ministry of Healing and claimed that he would walk again when the doctor said, no, you're not. It looks like this is it. But he, he was determined to walk again, and he did. And my sons, Keith is here now, and he was there when, when he did. And he, he first walked on a walker, and then he went to a cane, and then he went to a crutch. And he could use that crutch just like that. He could, <laughs> he could, he could swat a fly with a crutch. So, but anyway, the big C word was my fear. Um, I became a teacher. Joe and I had married. Uh, we were doing fine. And I was a pretty good teacher. And in 1995... Uh, I was named Kentucky Middle School Teacher of the Year. Wow, that's amazing. Out of, there's 13,000 applicants for that. 13,000 teachers probably should have gotten it besides me. <laughs> but I ended up with that award and I thought pretty much, you know, I had made it. Wow. And guess what? I was diagnosed at my regular uh, summer checkup with cancer of the right breast. Okay. <clears throat> I thought, well, I, I've, I can do, you know, 150 kids five times a day. I can do this. Wow. So um, went through the treatment. Fortunately, that one did not require more work. You mean to go on? Yeah, okay. The treatment for that. I got better. I had, had reconstruction, uh, which is not a party, and what's left is not real. You know, you are really fake. That's okay. <laughs> and I worked harder. I worked smarter. I tried to do everything that I hadn't gotten done in the first 45 years of my life. Uh, my husband stood beside me and behind me and all the time. The kids were supportive. Everybody was supportive. And then in 2008, after we had done a lot of things to help, help churches and uh, go on mission trips, I felt a, a knot under my left breast, felt like a peanut which I had just disregarded. It's not anything. It's not anything. But when I went for my checkup, my good doctor who had done the first surgery told me what the regimen was going to be. And Dr. Matt Brown, 
said, it looks like it's going to have to be another mastectomy, but then you're going to have to have some chemotherapy. Well, <clears throat> here, here I am. <coughs> I'm sorry, hon. Uh, the big C word, the fear from my childhood. Thank you, dear. The C from my childhood had come back. Oh, that's tears, you know, manna, whatever. And the fear of having the cancer again that would take me away from my children and my grandchildren was there. My youngest son was in on the, the knowledge that I didn't know if I wanted to go through that again. Have you ever been through something that was bad and you didn't want to repeat it? You know, most of the time when something hurts, you put your hand on a hot stove, you're going to pick it off. You don't put it back. <laughs> you don't do that. You know, once you've had that pain, you think, I can't go through that pain again. Yeah. Yeah. And our youngest son, who's the manager, and looked at me and said, Mama, where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm going, what is he talking about? And I got to thinking about it. And I got to thinking about my life story. By the way, I'm 79. Wow, that's incredible. That's so good. 79. You, she used the expression Friday night that we were seasoned. Some people are salt. I'm pepper. <laughs> well, the other thing was the song we sang about uh, press down to get wine. Yes. And I'm thinking, how are they going to get wine out of a raisin? <laughs> <laughs> so, t so our youngest son, Tim, said, Mama, how are you seeing yourself in five years? And of course, in five years, I saw myself as not being here. Wow. Wow. Because the aggressiveness of this particular tumor on a scale of nine, one through nine, was eight. Wow. So the aggressive cocktail of chemotherapy agents had to be pretty strong. There was nearly two years of infusions to follow that. So the operation that required the port to infuse the deadly poison into my heart to be circulated into my body was terrifying. Yeah. The first infusion I found out would last six hours because they give them to you one at a time to see if you die in the meantime, you know. If, if you have a, you know. So I'm going, no, I don't think I want to do that. But I did want to live. Amen. I had seen God do a miracle Amen. in my father. Amen. He was paralyzed totally until 
He prayed that time that he would walk again, and he did. He even learned to mow the yard and to take mother to the, she never learned to drive. He took her to the grocery store and he became a fan of the Methodist preacher. So he rode his mower, lawnmower down to his yard and mowed his yard. But I took a chance and had the chemo. And was it, was it fun? No, definitely not. Was it scary? Yes. But what the poison was, was what I needed to take the cancer out of my body. Wow. Uh, my church brought food. They, one of my girlfriends, when I was at my weakest point, I was trying to get a shower, and you know, you have drains everywhere, and so I couldn't get clean by myself. She said, well, let's give you a shower. She worked in hospital. She knew, you know, that'd make me feel better. With her clothes on, she got in the shower with me wow. and bathed me. Wow. One night I thought, I'm, I'm dying right now. I'm got and I was blue, my lips were blue. I was shaking so hard I couldn't control it. Um, Joe gave me a warm bath, wrapped me in a blanket, held me tight all night long in the bed. The bed continued to shake because I was shaking so hard I couldn't stop. And he did that till the next morning. And he's saying all the time, you're going to be all right. Wow. It's going to be okay. Wow. We've got this. Wow. God's got you. Amen. You're going to be all right. Amen. And the next morning, I was all right. Amen. Amen. And I'm still here. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. Come on. Amen. That happened in her 40s. And here she is, 79 years old, a testimony to God's goodness. Well, I was actually 65 for the second one. Okay. 65. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but, Perfect. But guess what? Guess what happened to me after those five years? You know, I got to see grandchildren, great grandchildren. Number one, two, three, four, five, and now six. Wow. That's so good. That's so, so good. I, got to see all I love the part of her story. Did you catch it? She said, I could not clean myself. Man, if that is not an encouragement for us today, we cannot make ourselves right with God. Jesus. Jesus purifies us. Sometimes we can't even like do it here on earth. He sends a husband. He sends a church friend. He sends a next door neighbor. He sends somebody to us to say, this person will be the hands and feet of Jesus for you. Man, that is so incredibly encouraging to me that there is not this burden on us to try and piece ourselves back together again, that it comes through the ministry of others, it comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus, that there are so many ways that we can see God at work, but sometimes we feel like it's all on us. 
I've got to figure out how to hold this together. I've got to figure out how to, you know, make this, make this thing happen. Man, thank you so much for sharing that. So, so much. Miss Carolina, so obviously there probably was some fallout of having a childhood that was broken. And so can you maybe tell us what that looked like and then how, how did it turn around? Where did it begin to, to come back together again? Well, I like to think that, and that's how I see myself as a child, that on an early age I begin to collect, uh, have a collection of wounds, my own. So I have this backpack, and in this backpack I have my own hurts wow. with the sexual abuse. I have to witness my parents try to destroy each other, so I kind of carry that too. I went into teenager years, and I grew up feeling, first of all, unloved. I question myself most of the time if my parents love me because they were busy, occupied with their own issues. Wow. So I feel abandoned in my own house. I feel invisible. I feel insecure, fear, and fear external because what was going on outside my house with the war, but also the war that I have inside my own house. I have also my assailant inside the house for so long. So fear was something that was very um, dominant in my life. So I go through teenager years, and of course, I begin to experience depression. As a teenager and being a girl, you know the hormones go crazy, mm -hmm. and that did not help at all. Um, I begin to act out. I, I fall into deep depression. I begin to self-harm, uh, make self-destructive decisions to a point that I try to kill myself. That's kind of when my parents finally find out what was going on with me. I was able to share for the very first time what happened to me when I was a child. Of course, my parents were not ready to receive. They were not ready to face uh, such a thing because what they did is kind of they blame it on each other. Mm -hmm. I remember so vividly, daddy was the only time I have seen my dad shed a tear. I think I was, I was his little girl. But I also remember that as soon as we woke up out of the therapist's office, my mom said, okay, nothing happened. This stays there, we don't talk about it, so nothing happens. And that was said, like I was forbidden to talk about it, so I need to ignore that that was not real, that didn't happen, so that was a second, uh, I guess, biggest thing that I carry for a long time and is a mask. I learned to put the mask of my parents because my parents from the outside, they were financially well, they were professionals, they were successful, and yet they were so broken. So I learned that. So I went into the world. I was born and raised in El Salvador until I was 21. So I come here when I'm 21, very naive, very naive to a big world in America. And I begin seeking something because I knew that something was wrong inside me. I feel the same, the loneliness, I feel sad, I, f I don't feel good about myself, I feel very insecure. So I begin to have failing relationships. And in the failing relationships, I carry more in my backpack of having one failure marriage, a second, a third. And that carry a lot of shame, yeah. a lot of shame because it's a failure, it's a constant reminder well, you're not worthy enough. That's what they leave you. That's why you're not able to have a family. Many times when I was in my first marriage, I, I remember looking in the mirror and said, I wish what is to be love. I'm here, but I, 
I don't feel nothing because I was numb and I didn't know that. You, you go through life and you don't know. So my turning point happens. I remarry. My last marriage, yeah. my husband Ray, I can say amen, it's the last one forever. I married Ray, and that was a gift of God. Um, we married in June 2009. I become pregnant in September, and I have my daughter next June 2010. So from the outside, everything is great. I'm having the opportunity to be a mom, I'm a stay-at-home mom, Ray's working, I have a house, everything looked good. But by the time I knew, it began again, the process of beginning to feel depression coming in one more time. And I know exactly what it was, because I had a child from my first marriage, he's 24 now, and on the first marriage, I did not develop what so women we give for granted, which is being the bond with your child. I don't remember, I don't have memories of feeding my own kid. And that's something that it brought me so much shame and pain. Even in the culture, I know it sounds crazy, but because I have a C-section, I was not considered a full woman to some of people in my culture. So I heard that and that hurt me deeply. So many things that I carry in this backpack of hurts. Um, So, by the end, my child is born. Michaela was around two. And that depression is kind of getting worse to the point that now I don't get out of my house. I develop this phobia of being outside. The, the only two places that I'm used to, to go is to the mailbox that is in front of my house and to church on Sundays. And that was my life for a season. I felt ugly. I felt not... Uh, the word that I used to say in my head is you're not presentable, like I was an object. You're not presentable. You're not worthy of being with somebody what you have to give. So I will stay home. And the turning point was the day that I um, woke up one day in my depression because I will just most likely be asleep. And I hear my daughter in my bed and I hear this noise and I open my eyes and I see Michaela with Legos because she managed somehow to get on top of that bed. And I see it with a butter stick of butter. She's eating butter because her mother cannot feed her. And I'm able to share it now that because for people that know know in the audience, I was telling my story for the first time to my own daughter today in the first service. And I will tell you the outcome of that because God is so good. (laughs) So... That was kind of my turning point because I said, okay, if you're not willing to do this for you or your husband, the soon is going to find out what kind of woman are you because I feel constant pressure. Ray used to make a joke that he didn't know it was not a joke. It was a joke to him, but it was terrible, devastating to me. He would say, stop applying. Look at your finger. You got the, you got the job. Wow. He used to say wow. that all that to me because I was overcompensating, yeah. Yeah. over like overly, like I think at some point maybe he thought I was exaggerating, like be too good, but it was so, my fear was so much that he will find out what kind of woman did he marry. And I'm thinking, this is a ticking bomb because then he's gonna be husband number four. And I, I was so stressed out, so drained. And I said, I have to do something because I have this little girl. I have to do something. So I reached out to a friend 
in something so simple. I don't know, it was nothing profound sometimes. We think that we need to have the heaven open and we have the <laughs> angels and we have this moment. No, this girl, I met her just years ago and she's Christian and she said, you know what, I also have depression, but when I feel like that, I just go help people. Wow. And didn't sound like a big, you know, profound something, wow, changed my life, but I said, well, yeah, just because you're gonna forget about your own problems, that's what I do, that's what she said. I work in a hospital, so that's what I do, help others so I forget on my own. Well, that kind of stayed with me for some days, and I decided to step out, Amen. be brave, because remember, I cannot go anywhere. So I went to church and I said, where can I help, but still I can hide? So I went into the back, the farthest part of the kitchen and began every Wednesday to cut the sweet breads and the coffee. <laughs> because I'm helping people, right? But I'm not talking to anybody, <laughs> you know? And first it's just like, every time, if they knew what I have done, and here's your coffee, wow. do you want creamer? If they know me. But little by little, that barrier started to go down and down. That's amazing. And I will smile back. Wow. Now I will talk. Now we'll engage. So little by little, God began to break something in me. Wow. And I believe now that in that cafeteria and that sweet bread and coffee that I enjoy so much, by the way, I love to also <laughs> be there with Miss Betty on Tuesdays, God began to the process of the healing. Amen. It began my healing. Because during that time, that's when I heard about this thing called Celebrate Recovery wow. that changed my life. And I wanted just to share something that happened just now because wow. I want you to see why I'm so passionate and why I cannot stop talking about healing and the journey of healing. I was so nervous that I was not so talkative as I am right now. <laughs> Because you have your 12-year-old that never has hear your story, right? And I am just trying to be delicate because I don't know this little girl how she's going to feel. But God. Amen. And I'm going to share what she said to me. As soon as I finish and the serving was over, my little girl come here. She did not hear the broken woman, the sexual abuse, the depressed. She says, Mom, I am your turning point. That is God. That is God because God has broken the strongholds. She's not feeling unloved. She's not feeling insecure. She's confident. She knows she's loved. And she has us to coach her through life. That's what God do. Thank you. Come on. How good is that? How good is that? Praise God. Yes, talking about those turning points that God heals families. He heals our bodies. He mends and puts together the, se the things that seemed completely, utterly destroyed. Um, I, I thank you so much for sharing that, Miss Carolina. Oh, my goodness. I want you guys to hear about Kaylee um, and her story as well. So we've, we've talked about broken health, broken bodies. We've talked about broken past, broken childhood, broken marriages, Kaylee's family was broken, like divorce papers were signed, families were living separated, apart. What turned around, Kaylee? When did things change? Um, so my mom started coming to Hope City, and she brought me, my uncle, and my brother with her, and um, um, 
it's cha- Hope City changed my view of God. It showed me that um, I can have a relationship with Jesus and that God actually wanted good for me because um, I resented him and I, I didn't know how he could like let me go through what I was going through. And he hopes that he just let me know that God wanted good for me and like what the things that he, the things that the enemy meant for evil, like God can turn for good. And um, um, so hopes that he brought my mom to the decision of going to a Christian rehab. And um, while that was going on, my mom, my dad got a new house and it was like the first house that I remember being comfortable in because the other, like when we were living with my, like when they were divorced, both of the houses were like toxic and I just didn't feel comfortable in them. And where before I was feeling like alone and abandoned, I felt secure knowing that um, God has like a plan and God was putting things back together. And, um, tell him the big part. (laughs) Um, so my mom, my dad saw the change in my mom and let her move in with us and they started getting closer and eventually they got back together and amen. Amen. Yes. Um, at some point, I don't like remember when this was, but I think it was when my dad was like there with us and, um, Pastor Jason preached a sermon on how, like, if you're, like, if you get married, then you're, like, always married in God's eyes, and it's crazy how, like, much of a perfect timing that that sermon had, because it spoke to my family, and now we get to take care of my papa, and because he's sick, and our relationship is, like, being restored with him, Amen. and even though it sucks that he's sick, I can at least look at it and see how God is working even through his sickness. And um, uh, so your mom gets clean, finds Jesus, gets saved. You, your brother, your uncle all get saved, get baptized together on the same day. And now your family has been reconciled. Your parents are married and together your family is whole. How awesome is that? So huge. I, I, I think that there, that's worth celebrating. Divorce doesn't have to mean it's over for forever. Like that feels so final. God brings dead things back to life. Scripture tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside each one of us. God has the final word. Regardless, regardless of what it looks like on the outside with our eyes. And we go, There's, there is no way this could be different. There is no way this could go another way. God says, oh, but just wait, but just wait. Amanda, tell us how things turned around. How did God begin to mend the broken pieces? So after um, we had still, of course, been coming here and I noticed that people had started to find out like who I really was, what's really happening and I'm easily embarrassed. So every time I would come, I would, I would know. Everybody's looking at me. They all feel sorry or they're wondering what's happening, but that really wasn't the case. People legitimately cared and wanted things to be restored. Um, Alex found Jesus. Amen. <laughs> he did. Amen. And 
we, I refused to believe it at first. There were subtle changes. He was reading his Bible. He was doing devotionals. And I just thought this was all fake. I actually pushed it aside and I would not give him the time of day that he actually deserved. But then there was just this change in my heart when I stopped praying for him to change and for myself to open my heart back up. Wow, that's so incredible. Will you guys celebrate Amanda sharing that story? I hope that you have been encouraged today that there has been just an incredibly powerful reminder that God is not done. If you are breathing, if there is air in your lungs, God is not done, amen. Will you give them one more hand as they find their, as they find their seats? We're going to have, the worship team is going to come on up. We're going to have um, some closure to service today. But I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you are in a place of brokenness of any kind, whatever that means or looks like to you, with nobody looking around, with nobody else, you know, I want to be able to pray for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now in this moment? If you need God to mend, to heal, to restore, to put something back together again, would you just lift your hand? I'm gonna pray for us in this moment right now. God, I just pray and believe for those who may be struggling to believe for themselves. God, so many times in these stories, we heard about how other people were a part of the healing process. And so right now, God is a church family. God, I just pray, Father, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. For those who have their hands lifted right now, who may be struggling to see how the story could go another way, for those who may be struggling to believe that God can restore or that he would restore for them. Maybe they believe that he will do it for other people. God, I pray in this moment that you would help these individuals to believe that you will and can do it for them. God, I pray for healing in bodies right now that are broken. God, I pray for marriages right now that are broken. God, I pray for uh, people who have mental health struggles where it feels like their thinking is broken, their mind, their emotions are somehow broken. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you begin to put it back together again. God, that it would be more beautiful, that it would be stronger, that they would see their life story as more valuable than it ever was before. God, I believe that you are a healer. God, I believe that you are a redeemer. And so right now in this moment, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you do what only you can do and that you would heal and restore in Jesus' name, amen.